Combinations and permutations. It's a math, math, math podcast. Mathy, mathy, mathy talking. Where we also talk about Ninja Turtles, Ghostbusters, Star Wars, Star Trek. Why Star Trek sucks, especially Picard. Picard fucking sucks, 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 sucks. Math, math, math podcast. Hello, I am your host Samuel Hansen. And you are listening to Combinations and Permutations, episode 46, brought to you by AcmeScience.com. On today's episode, we bring to you the story of the least appreciated and most disparaged mathematician of the modern era. George Cantor. And we lay into Kronecker a bit. Here we go. Hello and welcome to Combinations and Permutations. The mathematical podcast where I am going to talk very seriously for about an hour about the importance of mathematics. So everyone please... Grab yourself a coffee, curl up next to the fire, and listen to this wonderful story. This just doesn't feel right. <laughs> should we should we have a moment of silence in in honor of the death of, of my the, yeah, the death of the podcast? <laughs> Hello and welcome to Combinations and Permutations, the mathematical podcast that comes to you from my apartment in Las Vegas, Nevada. And the man who I'm going to introduce first from our guest panel of not quite experts is the person who has a room very close to mine in the same apartment. That is right. I am joined here today by Mr. Roe Kamenathan. Hello. <laughs> the comma is actually my, my middle name or... Or something, or uh, you know, if you count back, you know, it's, it's Nathan comma Rowe is my is my full name. Um, the comma starts with a P, though. Um, it's a silent P. <laughs> <laughs> and next up, the one man Minneapolis, the one man blog, the one more one man Star Wars spoken word play, and the one manga, Juan Mariscal. Hello. By the way, you get a lot of things if you type one hyphen one hyphen man into Google. <laughs> Clearly. I was kind of hoping that you'd introduce <laughs> with, with hey, that introduction. Hey, oh, fuck you. <laughs> fuck you. The one man here who does deserve to be introduced by my wonderful voice is the one you just tried to fucking step on, which I am going to put a big beat, <laughs> beat on. Uh, in order to make it so that I can introduce him, because he is my favorite guest of all time. The one that I'm very happy always sits directly across, across from me so I can stare into the curly nest that is on his face. That's right, Cody Palmer. Well, again, <laughs> thank you, Sam. I, words cannot describe uh, how, I, uh, how I feel right now. Uh, how about you try? <laughs> so many emotions. Um... Let's see here. Um, I, happy, okay. Yeah, happy. <laughs> um, happy is an emotion. Let's um, let's go with uh, like a mixture of 
confused and <laughs> slightly erect. Um, I know. No, oh, I'm I, describing myself here. Very sorry about that. But here on combinations <laughs> and permutations, uh, we talk about mathematics and how we talk about mathematics. We just choose some sort of topic for the for that week's episode, and we just you know wax philosophic on it. We give you information that you never expected to hear, such as uh, the information I gave you about 30 seconds ago. Information that you don't want to hear, also like that information I gave you about 30 seconds ago. So in order to introduce what our topic is this week, I'm going to give some hints and see if my guests, who of course I didn't tell the topic to because that would involve them being able to be prepared and sounding smarter than me, which I do not appreciate. So here are a few hints. One... This is our first episode in a while that's about a single mathematician again. Okay? Ooh, now, this Gauss. is a mathematician. No, we already covered Gauss. Yeah, I, I, I already did That Gauss. was Cody's nice. first episode. Uh, nice. And when nice. this podcast really started uh. to hit its stride. Okay, so now I'm going to give a few hints. Please do not pipe up until after I've given all of your hints. Uh, yeah. Okay, so this man's ideas, Poincaré once referred to as a grave disease infecting the discipline of mathematics. Kronecker once referred to him as a scientific charlatan, a renegade, and a corrupter of the youth. And Wittgenstein lamented that mathematics is written through and through with the pernicious idioms of what this man has done. And he, uh, Wittgenstein also said that these ideas were utter nonsense, laughable, and wrong. Who am I talking about? Uh, that's clearly Cantor. Very good. Yeah. Once again, why Cody yeah. is my favorite guest. I would. I, I, I'm not. No. Uh, you. You've. You've heard me use no, the no. quote. Uh, pernicious. <clears throat> the pernicious. Uh, what? Written through and through with the pernicious idioms of set theory before. We talked about it on the Infinity episode. Oh, did it say on. set theory in one of those quotes? I, I, might I glazed over oh, the set okay. theory part because okay. that makes it way yeah. too obvious. I think no. the only man who did not. Well, the one man that did not know who I was talking about. Yes. <laughs> well, <laughs> that is true. There's only, I there's did only not know. Like one mathematician in recent history that was really ridiculed as a as a crazy person. Well, um, the thing, the fact that matters, and we'll get more into this, is that he actually was a crazy person. You could argue that he was driven that way. Though, oh yeah, no, no, I'm the, not by all of the pricks you just mentioned. <laughs> yeah, no, no, I'm not denying that. But he was actually he did spend a decent amount of time in uh, institutions. Although I didn't know that Wittgenstein had so much against him. Oh, Wittgenstein like, was incredibly against him. And we'll get into more of the history of exactly why. But Wittgenstein, I mean, he has my favorite quote about Cantor, uh, George Cantor, by the way. No e on the end, but still George Cantor. Jorg. Uh, it's it's just George, just like uh, Geoff is pronounced Jeff. But that is a pernicious idea. Oh, I I I completely agree. Yeah, I'm I'm not happy with the, the Geoff Jeff. <laughs> this is yeah, that's not that's not cool. Why'd you bring that up, Sam? Not cool. You know what I could do right now? No, don't do it. <laughs> Okay, so let's let's talk a little bit about Cantor. Now, I mean, as as I said, I, I glaze over set theory because it would be too obvious because modern set theory is born from Cantor's slightly disturbed head. I mean, right, Nathan? I'm here that you know more about foundations than we um, do. But. I don't know about that. I mean... 
modern set theory. Well, well, Cantor was the only one to to come up with a set of axioms that sort of made sense, and then see what the consequences would be. You know, or, or I mean, he didn't actually come up with the axioms. Now that I think well, I was referring it. more to, and as once again, I'm going to continue saying this. We'll get into it more a bit later. I was referring more to the infinity idea. Right, right, and, and more, that, all, that's Cantor. All that happened is he didn't let he didn't let his common understanding of things get in the way from what the math he worked out told him. Yeah, and he also didn't let everyone else's common understanding yeah. <laughs> get in his way. That's true. Okay, so let's uh, let's talk a little bit about uh, Cantor. Of course, once again. The Wikipedia is our source, so uh, take it with a grain of salt, if you will, but uh, we take it as gospel here on Combinations and Permutations. <laughs> That's true. Wikipedia is our Bible. So um, Cantor was born in 1845 uh, in Russia, St. Petersburg, uh, to be specific. Um, now, uh, he ended up going originally to a uh, university in Germany, uh, the Federal Polytechnic Institute in uh, actually Zurich isn't Germany, is it? Where's Zurich? Sweden. Zurich is Sweden. Really? I I I, I I feel bad for not knowing Europe. I know we have some listeners in Europe. Um, We're very sorry. Uh, we are uh, we are patriots, and a proper United States patriot knows nothing of the world. <laughs> I mean, I mean, I know th some things. Switzerland. It's Switzerland. Switzerland. Sweden, Switzerland. As an American, they're the same thing to me. They both, oh, yeah. start, they both start with S and are traditionally neutral. Yes. See, I know some things about Europe. Right now, is, is... Oh, by the way, if there are any listeners in Spain... Uh, now, this, this is, this is going to seem like an odd request. Hopefully, this goes out in time. Uh, that I released this episode early enough. You can always uh, change the order of the episodes. Yeah, uh, in, if we have any listeners in Spain, I would love to have you email me at samuelacnescience.com because I'm going to be in Spain in uh, July. And I would love to uh, meet anyone. I'm going to be in Barcelona specifically, but I'm willing to travel around a bit too. I'd love to talk to anyone uh, in Spain about mathematics who listens to this because that would be really great i'd love to yeah. you know meet someone who listens to this podcast no and you could totally travel from barcelona to just about any i mean the trains in spain travel quickly over the plains so no. <laughs> <laughs> i see what you did there okay so uh, back back to canter so he uh, first went to university polytechnic specifically in switzerland uh, and then he ended up in uh, gottingen a University of Göttingen, who the study place of so many mathematicians over the ages at this Gauss. point. Gauss. Uh, Riemann. Who studied under? Gauss. Gauss. <laughs> <laughs> okay, and and so then um, it, after that, I mean, he got um, well. He spent a summer at Göttingen, actually, uh, and oh. then Berlin is. Uh, the group that uh, granted him his PhD. Now, oddly enough, his PhD uh, was actually in number theory. Doesn't surprise me. There, you can't get a PhD in set theory when set theory doesn't exist. Okay, yet. fair enough. <laughs> Good point. Uh, as a matter of fact, his first 10 papers uh, were on number theory. I don't really know what area of number theory because it's not listed here. 
Uh, and that means that means it was unimportant. Like ninety nine point nine percent of PhD theses. Oh, I was really hoping like, you were going to say about ninety nine point nine percent of papers and numbers. Oh, theory. oh yeah, well, papers <laughs> and uh, that's number a little theory. more. Ninety nine point nine repeating. Yeah. Papers and one hundred minus epsilon. I think is the the actual yes. percentage. Yes. Um, and then uh, he moved to uh, analysis next. And he actually solved some open problem. Uh, it doesn't say what open problem here. Uh, that Dirichlet, uh, Lipschitz, and Riemann had all worked on. Oh, and uh, his advisor as well. It's, it does say. Uh, uniqueness of the representation of a function by a trigonometric series, actually. Oh, huh. okay. So the use of trigonometric uh, series. Well, but um, set theory... I. Set theory and analysis are strongly tied together from the beginning, and maybe it's because he worked in analysis first, uh, or well, he second, I guess. But um, I mean, to this day, you cannot do modern analysis. If you take if you take a real analysis course at the doctorate level, you know, um, you I mean, you can't do it without set theory. You are doing set theory up up up. Set theory invades your ass, digs around, and like. <laughs> So, uh, I've quite often thought of set theory as an anal intrusion, but never as a uh, anal spelunker or minor. Maybe this describes the strange feelings I have when I do set theory. <laughs> you can't quite sit down, right? You do a lot strange, of strange, but pleasurable nonetheless. I didn't say that. <laughs> oh, okay. Uh, so he had, and he finally solved this problem in '69. Uh, and then 70 and 72, uh, he published more trigonometric series papers, uh, and including one which is actually pretty important, which uh, defines irrational numbers as convergent sequences of rational numbers. And that actually uh, is a decently important thing. That hadn't been done before him? No. Nope. Yeah. Wow, 70, that's so, like, that's Between so 70 basic. and 72. I mean, yeah, I, I mean... the. Uh, We've all been trained to think of the real line as the completion of the rationals, um, but I guess which which is a set theoretic idea. I guess so. And yeah. so I mean, even before he started on set theory, because he hadn't started on set theory yet, he was already working with ideas that would later become gospel, essentially wow. in set yeah. theory. And so then uh, it turned out he started working in set theory. As a matter of fact, the beginnings of set theory as an entire branch of mathematics. Uh, came with his paper, and I'm going to say this just because I want to try to say it. The Uber ein Eigenstoff des Inbegriffs aller realen algebraischen Zahlen. Maybe we paper. should apologize to our <laughs> European listeners. Again. Anyone who speaks yeah. German, I am sorry, unless your name is Brandon Metz, at which point, fuck you. Uh, yes. Uh, so this is on a characteristic property of all real algebraic numbers, which is, I mean, the translation. Well, yeah, when you said Zalin, I was like, ah, numbers. <laughs> really? Yeah. I, I did not know that. Well, no, wait, 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 wait. Say that. Say, what was the title translated again? I... On a characteristic property of all real algebraic numbers. Well, the set of integers Z, it's called Z because Zalin is numbers. Oh. Okay, I did not. I did not actually know that. Now this was uh, published. This was published in a journal, uh, uh, <laughs> thanks to the support of a mathematician called Dedekind. Uh, but it was actually opposed by Kronecker. 
So oh, already, Kronecker hated Cantor. Yeah. So already, Cantor this die. is the first set theory paper, the first one. He had not published anything else. He hadn't really uh, created the things that would really make him hated yet. And already, Kronecker is opposing the publication of his work. Yeah. Kronecker. He just sounds like a bad guy. If there was. But a Kronecker villain. has some fucking amazing yeah. linear algebra stuff. A Kronecker matrix? Yeah. I mean, it's a zero one matrix. I mean, it's a very I just, important I just don't trust algebra. him off the bat. He sounds like a villain. That's, I'm sorry. That's true. That's true. And, and this paper was the first paper to uh, mathematically prove that there is more than one kind of infinity. So I mean, his first set theoretic paper is already the more than one kind of infinity paper. Yeah, well, that's where you that's where you would start, I guess. Until then, everybody would just kind of take it as like whatever. But then as soon as it starts... No, they wouldn't. A... That's kind of the history of Cantor is that no one is going to take it as whatever. Well, no, it's just that whenever something weird came out of it, they were like, oh, I guess we don't really... whatever. But I mean, set theory didn't blossom as its own field until the weird stuff like multiple infinities showed up you know so if we talk about this a little bit as what infinity was like beforehand all infinities before this were considered to be the same size well like the real numbers was the same size as the integers but there wasn't a size size they were all considered equivalent how about that sure so i mean real Mm -hmm. numbers were the same as the integers which are the same as the rationals because they were all infinite infinite, Mm -hmm. so uh, but uh, he proved, Cantor proved, that there's a, two different types of infinity. And what are those two different types of infinity? Uh, Not you. The countable and the uncountable. Yeah, and uh, what are the two basic examples of those? What's the basic um, example of countable? Uh, integers, natural numbers, or rationals, and the uncountable being the, the size or the number... Of elements in the set of real numbers. Yeah, real numbers are uncountable. Integers yeah. are countable. Yeah. Uh, and also, he showed something very important that uh, turned out to be uh, something else that would piss people off to no end. Once he had proved that there's different sizes of infinity, this one really annoyed people, that the rationals and the integers are... Um. The same bijectives. The same size. You know, that actually still ticks people off. Oh, yeah. I... I I was reading an article a few months ago. It was from some uh, computer engineer jerk or whatever, and he was uh, he was seriously objecting, and like he was it was personal. Even now, even now, you know, a hundred and thirty years later, this guy was more still, than hundred. Yeah, yeah, I mean, this guy was hundred thirty six. Yeah, this guy was still taking it personal. These these ideas, and it was it was kind of hilarious to read him. Uh, yeah. And so uh, this, the one other thing that's in this paper that uh, will go down as uh, one of the most important results in all of this is uh, something that actually started in 1844. Uh, Joseph uh, Louisville uh, first proved the existence of something referred to as a transcendental number. Now, I know we've talked about these four, but what is a transcendental number? A transcendental number is a number with which there exists no polynomial with rational coefficients whose root is that number. And, you know, he manages (laughs) to do that without a computer open in front of him. Maybe Nathan would be a better host than me. Whatever. I mean, (laughs) no, I mean, using set theory, it is so freaking easy to prove that they exist. But... 
proving that any given number that should be transcendental is transcendental is like yeah, a big and, deal. I and mean, so Louisville's the or Louisville, how do you pronounce his name? I always L- think it's Louisville. L- Louisville. 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 Yeah. Oh, Louisville. Okay. And he established that they existed. And so in this paper, which apparently did a lot of things, mind you, this one paper, uh, proved that uh, the set of transcendental numbers is uncountable. As, and w- the algebraic numbers is countable. And can you explain yeah, right. like how those two things tie together? Because um, if a number is, there, is can, either... Yeah, there, there are exactly the same amount of algebraic numbers. Anything with square roots and whatever, I mean, all of those things. There's only as many of those as there are um, counting numbers. You know, a one, two, three, dot, dot, dot. You can, you can connect them exactly um, and pick up all of them. Um, but but uh, transcendental numbers, the freak numbers that we only know like seven of. There's only like seven transcendental numbers we know about. Well, that's not true. There are infinite classes we know about. But but um, seven literal numbers. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so there are only like seven of them and and that we know about, and yet almost every single real number is a transcendental number um, in a sense. I mean, if you establish measures, well, whatever, whatever. Okay. <laughs> okay. And so, I mean, ba- the basic logic is that algebraic numbers are countable. Real numbers are uncountable. Or no, actually, uh, trans or algebraic numbers are countable. Transcendental numbers are uncountable, and since real numbers are the union of those two sets, well, I mean, with some other things too, aren't they? No. Or is it just no, the every union? they Direct partition? Union? They yeah. they partition the reals. Yeah. Right. So then the union of those two has to also be uncountable. Therefore, real numbers are uncountable. Oh, yeah. he wouldn't or, have proved it that way. Yeah. Uh, that would be a good enough proof to he show transcendental numbers. He would have done it sort of uh, the opposite way. He yeah. knew that the reals were uncountable and that the algebraic numbers were countable. That's Those two things are easy to prove. And well, so from that, he deduced... Well he, well, he used, apparently in the paper, he did both things. He showed it both ways. Uh, maybe, maybe. But the, the easy okay. way is to show that the reals are uncountable on their own and then um, the transcendental numbers must be uncountable because they're the rest and... If you're missing on the accountable set of an uncountable set, then you must have uncountably many missing. Um, okay, and so so now we're up to 1879. So from 79 to uh, 84 in the 19th century, uh, Cantor published uh, a series of articles, uh, six of them uh, to be exact. And these these were his you know his basis of the Cantor set theory, and and. Uh, during this entire time, there's Kronecker in the background, bitching and yelling and screaming and fucking throwing a goddamn fit because he's annoyed by this idea of infinity, essentially. And basically, Kronecker uh, only wanted mathematical concepts uh, that could be constructed from natural numbers with a finite number of steps. Okay. So doesn't that seem kind of ridiculous to everyone? Well, it... it- Sort of, but at that, the same time, I think that 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 tends to throw out a bunch of mathematical ideas. Yeah, already, and, you know, like you can't construct the number pi in finitely many steps. Well, unless you, it depends on what rules of construction you. If I mean, if you just take it as the ratio from the circle, you can technically construct. You can't compute it, but you can construct it. If you know the radius of a circle. You can, and if you know the radius and a circumference of a given circle, you can construct pi in a finite number of steps because it's one step. 
Right, but you can just redefine. If, if you say that constructing ratios of this length to that length is something that can be done in finitely many steps, then you might as well say um, that infinite series or something can be taken to be one step. Yeah, I, I wonder if Kronecker was bitched, of, bitched about infinite series, too, because infinite series already existed at this point. Yeah. We had already had Riemann. Right. No, in, infinite series. I mean, Cantor's first paper that Kronecker probably did not bitch about was that infinite series of, uh, of uh, sine waves and whatever, right? I mm -hmm. mean, the infinite series of trig functions... Every, every periodic function has a unique representation as an infinite series of trig functions, right? Yeah. Um, so, so they were clearly, and he probably was, he was probably perfectly fine with that, and I'm sure he was perfectly fine with Taylor series and McLaurin series. So he, he had no problem with series, and yet he's still arguing for finite steps, which is whatever. And so in uh, 1883, uh, the paper Foundations of a General Theory of Aggregates was published. This was an incredibly important paper, uh, even though Juan is looking at me with a glazed look on his face like he doesn't want to be here. Um, I usually give you that look regardless. <laughs> and um, so... Um, even, if I'm at, even if I'm in my own house. <laughs> and I'm not or, even there? Yeah, or if you're there, then I'm like, you're I do not want to be here. You just look in the general direction of my yeah. apartment and like have a general malaise. Yeah, I, yeah I just get uncomfortable. Okay, like, so this paper uh, was... Uh, his reply to the critics. This is essentially his reply to, uh, to Kronecker. And uh, it, this is when he showed that transfinite, so infinite numbers, uh, were an extension of natural numbers. This is the first time he showed that you can get to these you know, infinite, you know, uncountable series from just the natural numbers. Okay. And it's also when he introduced the term ordinal and cardinal. Right. So what the fuck is an ordinal? Oh, an ordinal is is the generalized counting number. Um, so you know the counting numbers start at. You can say they start at one or they start at zero. Ordinals start at zero. So and actually, actually, before we go on this, sorry, yeah. but uh, before we go on this, we should actually say that this is all based on the idea of uh, well orderings. Right. Right. And, and that's important. And so, how about we give first give a definition of well orderings? Anyone other than Nathan know the definition of well ordering off the top of their heads? Uh, no. Okay, Nathan, go. <laughs> um, a well ordering is a linear ordering with n a linear linear ordering with no infinite decreasing chains in them. So if you have a is less, I mean, sorry, your first number is less than your second number. No, I'm sorry. If your second number is less than whatever, no, in, no infinite. Uh, okay. Does yeah. anyone else have an actual definition? Well, Do I have that, to look that this is up? The, the actual definition. The other definition you can use is given any subset of this set whatever set is well ordered um, every subset um, has a least element that's the one that you often mm -hmm. hear yeah. um, but it's so it's easier in proofs to use the definition that there's no infinite decreasing chain but whatever um, is that acceptable Sam yeah I, I guess and so then we go on to <laughs> ordinals and cardinals okay ordinals are the extension of counting numbers um, so so one I mean, it's, they start at zero, zero, one, two, three, four. These are all ordinals. And then there's a dot, 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 right? Because you can keep going higher and higher and higher. And then after that, you might as well say that at the top of, you know, after you do that dot, 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 why not put one more? We'll call that omega. 
and then there will be omega plus 1. You can just add 1 to it and be bigger than it, and omega plus 2, and dot, dot, dot. And so every ordinal has a successor, but then also every, every collection of them has a supremum or, or a, a uh, element just above all the collection. Um, and with those two sort of axioms, you can just keep counting forever. And forever means even beyond the dot, dot, dots. You can just keep going and going. Um, okay. okay, and then card did you define cardinals in there? I really no, wasn't I didn't, listening. No, I didn't. Cardinals, cardinals are special ordinals. I didn't hear alephs, so. <laughs> cardinals are special ordinals. They deal with alephs. Um, cardinals are numbers who actually grow in size. So... Somehow, omega plus one has the same size as omega. It's actually very easy. You can take, you can, um, uh, I mean, you can take the for the last element and place it first, and then have the first element go to the go to the second element, and the second element go to the third, and you create this one to one bijection between omega and omega plus one. So you can see that they have exactly the same amount of elements. Um, and it's easier to do with a picture than with words, but. Um, there are some ordinals where you count high enough that you you cannot do this anymore. You've actually gotten to the point where you have more elements less than this ordinal than than um, any ordinal before it, or, or something like that. So any ordinal less than it is a smaller size in a sense. And so cardinals are where these jumps happen in size and. They have to happen all at once. You can't like build your way up to a cardinal jump. You have to like there's not a continuum. It just goes it goes from one straight up to the next in these very I mean, it's a huge jump all at once. Okay, and so I mean that brings us to eighteen eighty four. This is a very important year in Cantor's life. Because this is the year that he first suffers from a major bout of depression. And he ends up uh in a sanatorium uh, or an insane asylum as we like to uh, no actually we don't call them anymore what loony bins is that our current name for them <laughs> i think insane psychiatric asylum. hospitals psychiatric yeah psychiatric hospital i call it home <laughs> uh we should point out that cody is currently wearing a straight jacket so um he 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 was really fucked up at this point. He had been dealing with so much criticism. Are we talking about Cody? Uh, Cantor, <laughs> uh, Cantor here now. Um, but he had been and he had been writing to a mathematician called uh, Mittag Leffler. Uh, it's a Scandinavian, Swedish actually. See that guy's Swedish. Zurich, Switzerland. We should just go with Scandinavia. It's safer. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's I, Swedish. He's actually Swedish. I, I think, managed to look this up while Nathan was talking about something. Um, and so uh, he was he was writing to him a lot, and he wrote 52 letters uh, to Mittag Leffler in 1884, and every single one of them was bitching about Kronecker. <laughs> uh, here's, here's an actual, uh, this is a passage from one of them. I don't know when I shall return to the continuation of my scientific work. At the moment, I can do absolutely nothing with it and limit myself to the most necessary duty of my lectures. How much happier I would be to be scientifically active if only I had the necessary mental freshness. So all of this criticism is really affecting him at this point. Like, I mean, his self-confidence is fucking screwed up. He has nothing in the tank right now. 
Yeah, you, you got to feel bad for the guy. I mean, that's you. You would think that. Okay, you do you do math, and you know you present your proofs in a in a reasonable way, and nobody actually seems to go beyond just saying, "Oh, that's a stupid idea," instead of actually you know talking about your a problem with your proof or something like that, and that's just not the way math is supposed to work. Yeah, I mean it's it's it it does seem unduly harsh, uh, but after this. Uh, he actually stopped lecturing on mathematics for a while. Uh, he started to uh, focus lecturing on philosophy instead, uh, the realm of, of academia where mathematicians go to die. <laughs> that is... <laughs> well, where yeah. mathematicians used to go to die, now they go to physics. Uh, <laughs> and uh, he actually started something here. This, this was by far, when I was researching for this, this was by far the most interesting piece of material on Cantor that I found. Uh, he started to study quite heavily Elizabethan literature. And in 1896 and 1897, he published two pamphlets uh, that were supposed to go to show how his research into Elizabethan literature proves that Francis Bacon wrote the Shakespearean plays. Oh, that's how Bacon got involved in the... So it's Cantor's fault? Can't, well, I mean, he's not. He, I'm sure that that was already a theory that existed, because that's a theory that's been around for a long time. But Cantor was one of the people who wrote on Bacon being Shakespeare. I mean, his last name is Bacon. So was was yeah. Cantor right? Well, the, well, was we this proof never, valid? We will never know. And this is a literature pamphlet, not a proof. Um, I I personally am not a believer of the committee writing or the bacon or i personally believe that there elizabeth. was or the queen was, i haven't heard that one Marlo? i've heard that queen elizabeth Marlo. was actually yeah Marlo. i've heard marlo bacon the committees uh, i guess i haven't you heard, haven't the heard elizabeth. queen elizabeth no i've not That's i've not heard that one. i'm a i'm a big believer in the fact that shakespeare was a person existed and he wrote those things i, I would like to submit a new theory go what? it was cody he traveled back in time yeah, actually, it's a self-fulfilling prophecy. You travel back in time, plant yeah, the plays, I, I have, I have told, and then you get back yeah. here, and you never actually have, have to write them because you learn about them as a child. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Wow, you that's take great. Yeah. It's, it's called, what is it? It's the Bill and Ted effect. <laughs> yeah. 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 So I'm going to... to travel back in time and write Shakespeare's plays, <laughs> and bam, Shakespeare's plays are here. Yeah, you carry a copy with you through the through the warp through the yeah. time gate, and then just just you could actually just hand them to somebody. You don't even have to rewrite them. Yeah. Just hand them to some guy <laughs> who's and say, just tell them your name is Shakespeare. <laughs> <laughs> I don't care how you spell Dude, it. Dude, it's the beard. All he has to do is, I mean, no no offense intended here, which means I'm going to, about to offend you. Oh, uh, okay. All you have to do is you know take off a little bit of the weight, and you could actually look like him. You got the beard going. Mm, yeah, yeah. Get, get, you know. I mean, you'd have to trim the sides and get that weird little curly shit, but yeah. curly I... shit. Yeah, <laughs> get you know, grow your forehead out, you know, maybe three times the size. <laughs> I and... bet Cody actually has a pretty big forehead underneath that hair. Hey, well, not, know, nothing I, compared to Shakespeare. I'm enjoying that's for sure. my hairline while I have. It. <laughs> that's nice. okay, okay. So, uh, Cantor did end up back in mathematics um, around 1890, 1891 is when he ended up back back in mathematics and really started doing this is when um, he he presented what is 
what it's was the first thing that I really heard Cantor's name attached to, and that's the diagonalization argument. Yeah. So that's Hugh here, up. other than Nathan, wants to explain the diagonalization argument. I, th- I think I can. Cody, All you're right. Cody. I, I I believe in you. Come on, Cody, 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 Cody. Okay. Nathan right. apparently is not cheering you because I'm stopping him from talking about this. All right. I just so... want to talk. <laughs> All right. You you may no, have just to, go ahead. You may have to help me out on this, but um, so the the idea was to prove that the was it the the amount of numbers between zero and one is uncountable. And so you assume that they're countable, and you list them out in their decimal expansions, all right? And so you've listed out all of them because you've assumed that they're countable. Now, uh, construct a number where um, the, first, uh, the first number is different from the first element of the first number on your list. Uh, the second one is different from the second number on the second element of your list. In the decimal expansion. The decimal expansion, yeah. yes. Uh, and uh, I guess the third digit, I guess, would right, be the. Right. And then uh, on the uh, the third digit of your number is going to be different from the third digit on the third line of your list, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, where the ith digit of your number is different from the ith digit on the ith line on the uh, uh, on your list, and you ultimately end up creating a number that is not on your list. Therefore, by contradiction, uh, the numbers but amount of numbers between zero and one cannot be countable. Something like that. Yeah. Yep. They, yep. No, they call it the diagonalization because if you draw out the whole big square of all these freaking digits and you draw a big diagonal right in the middle. You just change those the digits that are on that diagonal, and that number created by the diagonal will not be in that list. Yeah, yeah. that's freaking badass. Okay, and uh, so he actually went on a little bit later to write on, of all things, the Goldbach conjecture, which is still an unsolved problem. He wrote on it in 1894. It's still unsolved. Um, and then uh, I, I mean, we, we've we've heard of Felix Klein before. Uh, Klein bottle. Very good, Nathan. You get a doggy treat. Oh. It's going to be a Scooby snack? No. Oh, Scooby snacks look good. Uh, yeah, if you're high as a kite. Hmm. <laughs> Is there any other way to watch Scooby-Doo? <laughs> <laughs> okay, and so Felix Klein edited his last, uh, his last set theory papers. And these, um, <laughs> these papers are uh, very basic uh, it, in in scope, uh, but very important at the time. Uh, the first one was actually the first time that set and subset and inclusion and things like that were f- defined in a way that would still be acceptable today. Hmm. So if you think about it, this is like 95 or 97 uh, in the 1800s. So we're talking, you know, like 115 years ago was the first time that a set was defined in a mathematically in a way that mathematically we would still consider to be rigorous enough today. I mean, that's that's ridiculous, right? Uh, he also wanted these papers to uh, contain a proof of the continuum hypothesis, uh, who he was the first to 
uh, formalized. He was the first person to formalize the continuum hypothesis. Now, uh, the continuum hypothesis is something that I am actually going to let Nathan talk about. It's not, it's not that complicated. No, it's, um, it's not, but I'm just going to screw up the definition. Cantor was able to prove that the size of the real numbers is bigger than, than... I mean, it was uncountable, so it was bigger than the size of the natural numbers. But one thing he was never able to prove is the continuum hypothesis, which says that the size of the real numbers is actually the second biggest infinity. So if you go up one step to a larger cardinal number, that cardinal number has the same size um, as the real line. And that's, that's what Cantor believed to be true. It's no longer you really believed to be true necessarily in the set theory world. Um, but yeah, that's, that's uh, what the, what the um, continuum hypothesis says. Yeah, and so this is, this, uh, we're up to about 1897 at this point. So he's born in what, 1845, I think I said? Sounds about right to everybody who was listening. Mm. Uh, the, yes. 1845, yeah. 1845, so up to like 1895. So he's about 50 years old at this point, 52, 53, somewhere in there. And, um, well, bad things happen again, surprisingly enough, right? So he's been out of the, he's been out of the hospital for 15 years uh, come 1899, but he goes back to the sanatorium. Like, I mean, uh, even though between uh, between his first hospitalization and this one, him and Kronecker have actually made up uh, in the way that they say that they're okay with one another and Kronecker still continues to completely bash and try to destroy everything that Cantor does. A little bitch. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Kronecker, that... God, I'm gonna I'm gonna name my least favorite son Kronecker. <laughs> <laughs> or you're gonna name him Kronecker, and he's gonna become your least favorite son. Well, yeah, yeah. Um, and so uh, he gets out, and then while he's giving a lecture on his Baconian theory, as we, as Wikipedia calls it, really that is my favorite name for a theory ever: Baconian theory. Uh, while he's giving a lecture on that, his youngest son dies suddenly. Like in the lecture? I don't know if it's oh, in the lecture. Uh, he's like present. And, but well, during, at so least, as you can see, bacon was shake. <laughs> at least, at least during uh, this lecture, uh, it, he pa or his son passes away, and then 1903 he's hospitalized again, and uh, after that, 1904. Uh, Julius uh, Koenig, uh, at the Third International Congress of Mathematics, uh, presents a paper that tries to prove that the basic tenets of transfinite set theory are wrong. Uh, Cantor doesn't take this very well. Uh, even the, uh, and <laughs> uh, he, he feels like he's like, this is, this is just beyond the pale. Like, I mean, he's personally affronted mm -hmm. by this. And, uh, Zermelo actually proves the next day that that Koenig is wrong. Oh, uh, yeah. Face Koenig. And a Cantor apparently uh, stayed shaken after this. This is once again just straight from the Wikipedia because I have to say this. Even momentarily questioning God. So it's apparently on, like, his faith is starting to get shaken at this point. Um, and then for the rest but of But only his... momentarily. After that, he was like, "Oh, never mind. <laughs> I guess, I guess God's okay." And uh, so, I mean, he's he's in and out of institutions for the rest of his life now. Uh, 
he doesn't produce any real new mathematics. He does give lectures from time to time. And then in 1913, uh, during, uh, or he retired in 1913 and suffered from poverty and malnourishment. If I remember the story correctly, like he was afraid to eat food because he thought people were poisoning it or something. No idea. I, I really probably would have if he had had the opportunity. That's true. That's true. Yeah. That's all. That much of a joke. Yeah, he is no son of mine. And then in 1917, uh, he ends up in a sanatorium where he then dies on January 6, 1918. Yeah, shitty fucking life, right? Moment of silence? Oh, fuck that, I can't stay silent. Well, actually, you know, I suppose Sam could just edit in a moment of silence. That'd be pretty easy. No. <laughs> yeah, that, that's true. That's true. I wonder every time every time I've had to endure moments of silence. I wonder if if everybody around me was talking and God just edited in around me. Uh, so that really, yeah, true. okay, fine. <laughs> right. At least yeah, uh, I wait, was no, comparing wait, 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 you wait, wait, to God, Sam. He, he was just questioning God. I don't need, but only momentarily. I I do not need yeah, someone see. to make that comparison. I'm pretty secure in my belief that I'm God already. Nah. Nah. Okay, so one thing we didn't talk about uh, from Cantor, an idea that he uh, that he came up with, uh, but well, we we did not mention. I believe that's what I just said and then reworded. Uh, is of a power set. Now, now, Juan, what is the power set of a set? Well, sometimes you have these sets, a uh, set being um, something with uh, a group that has uh, A set of, is of a collection of elements. Yeah, a collection of elements, but sometimes these elements can... Okay, this is can really bad. ...can overtake other elements and may, <laughs> therefore are more powerful. We call them... <laughs> We call the <laughs> don't throw something at me. Okay, so we have a collection of elements. What the power set is is a new set where oh, a piece <laughs> of shit, Sam. The power okay. set is the set containing all of the subsets of the original set. Yes. Is that is that yeah. a fine? That, that's exactly definition. what I was saying. Therefore, more powerful, <laughs> willing, and able to overtake the original set. Well, in a sense, yes, right. No. Well, no. No. In sets all... are not fighting. Sets are not like getting together and grabbing fucking swords. Be like, you know what, motherfucker? I'm gonna fucking stab you. Well, I mean, good. What if I'm you took cut the... you, bitch? What if you May took the let set? Let your zero blood fall all over the floor. The set of Protestant uh, Irishmen <laughs> and versus the set of Catholic Irishmen. They Which have one is been the power set? Pretty peaceful mm -hmm. for. A long time now. Okay. The set thanks of to the work of former Israeli president. citizens and the set of Palestinian citizens. I'm not touching that with a ten foot cattle prod. Are man. you sure we've Good been move. good move? I don't think we could be any more any more. I'm okay with pissing Europeans. off. I'm one Europeans. One so we can take uh, Israel that and Palestine. I'm pretty sure those aren't in Europe. Oh, but I'm saying we, we've... I'm okay with a, pissing offensive. off the Swedish and the Swiss. <laughs> They're fucking neutral. What the hell are they going to do? Close my non-existent Swiss bank account? Or what the fuck did the Swedish do? I spell my Hansen okay. with an E in. I'm Norwegian. I already have a long-standing problem with the Swedes. <laughs> By the way, any Swedish listeners, I don't really have a problem with you. Thank you for downloading the podcast. Oh, you should see what this guy says, you know, outside the podcast. That's true. I have heard Left him. Left suffer life! <laughs> 
I've heard him say some awful, awful things about Swedish people, um, and especially uh, citizens of Israel. <laughs> <laughs> what? You are seriously trying to get me killed? Especially. Israelis, Palestines, I take no side in your... Oh my god, that's going to cause both of them to kill me. Okay, so let's talk about mathematics where I feel safe. Uh, okay, so uh, mathematics, the, the main problem that Cantor was having is that he was coming up against uh, an area or a thought of mathematics called constructivism. Now, this is what Kronecker is talking about. You take it and you, in a finite number of sets, you construct something. So and that's the basic idea of constructivism. And then there's also finitism which is exactly what it sounds like. Uh, and then there's also something called institutionism, which is an approach to mathematics as the constructive mental activity as humans. Mathematics does not it consist of analytic activities wherein deep properties of existence are revealed and applied. So essentially, institutionism is saying that mathematics is completely and utterly useless. As far as I Good can times. tell. Yeah. Good times. And so I mean, these are the people who are fighting against him. Uh, Poincaré was an institutionist. Kronecker uh, was a constructivist. And so, I mean, these people... And uh, Wittgenstein was a finitist. So the three people I mentioned in the beginning, they come from those three areas of thought. Oh, and also uh, Christian theologians hated Cantor, too. <laughs> uh, why not? Why not? <laughs> uh, well, they, they hated him because uh, Christian theologians believed that infinity was a unique property of the existence of God. Okay. No, so there can only reasonable. be a single infinity, and that infinity is God himself. God? I, I think that... Uh, yeah. So what? God is a number was what they were saying? I, I don't... No, God has an exclusive claim to supreme infinity. Well, the, the supreme infinity is still greater not supreme than all numb infinity. Supreme infinity. Whatever. Well, what you're talking about also gets to something else that we did not mention. This is the uh, lightning part of the show where we don't actually talk in depth about anything, and that's the idea of uh, well, well, how do you deal with the biggest infinity? There isn't one. Yeah, but it gets into the idea of classes. Oh, sure, 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 sure. Yeah, if you try to collect all ordinals, say, all the counting numbers, you turn out, it turns out that if all of the ordinals form a single set, you come up with a shit ton of contradictions all over your face. Um, so, so certain things, certain collections are too big to be collected, and then you have to call them classes. A class is just a less formal collection of objects. Um, but the set of all sets is not a set. It's the class of all sets, the collection of all sets. And that could more easily be, be compared to God. And it, it, it even makes God seem even greater. Because if God is omega, just the lowest infinity, then, like, I'm thinking about things bigger than him <laughs> okay, all the time. Okay, so who we've pissed off so far, the Israelis, the Palestinians, and the Europeans. So now let's go for a bigger group, the Christians. <laughs> Next, let's let's attack Allah. Uh, <laughs> I am really not touching. Okay, no, no, continue on. Uh, no, so so I think that Cantor's work even even starts talking. I mean, maybe Cantor's work gives the existence of demigods or something that maybe goes against. <laughs> thou, thou shalt not worship any god above over me. Over me, yeah, over above me. me, sure. So as long as they're so, smaller infinities, we can so worship you just them. Need to, you just need we can to worship, worship them right in our pants. Worship the collection of all sets. It's bigger than any set could possibly be, and all others are mere sets. And, and that, right. I mean, that comes into uh, the Russell paradox. And this, I mean, this is where set theory goes. All right. 
And and so really most of these problems are not completely I mean they're still not completely put to rest as Cody pointed out but they're pretty solidly put to rest for mathematicians at least by Girdle. Yeah, Girdle Girdle helped. And sure. and Girdle is someone I think we've probably talked about. I know we've talked about him before well, cuz yeah. we talked about incompleteness. I don't know if he's before. had his own uh, but we have not incompleteness has had its own episode I think. Yeah, but we've not talked about Girdle uh, as a whole who I hope one day one day soon we will get to. But I mean, Girdle with his uh, incompleteness theorem really put to bed a lot of the issues that people that mathematicians had with Cantorian set theory, right? Like, well, I, I don't know if incompleteness really. I mean, Girdle himself took like worked a lot with the axioms of uh, um, Zermilo Franco, you know. Z yeah. And so Girdle. Girdle was well respected for just being badass, and then he himself started doing set theory as if it were like the real deal, um, and so maybe that on. Yeah, but I, I think the I mean the the incompleteness theorem, you know, that it's going to be incomplete, really put to bed at least some of the paradoxes and problems that people had with Cantorian set theory, um, like the inherent sure. problems. Yeah, because I mean he pointed out problems with the the simple axioms of number theory. Yeah. So if number theory has problems then why the hell should should we have, well, and take also, issue with set and, theory and Cantor pointed out a bunch of his own paradoxes as well yeah and so this this helped point out that it's well, okay that they exist well he used paradoxes to prove his work <laughs> yeah which is which is so freaking cool okay so uh last words guys Juan you got anything to say um I'm down with Cantor you know um the other dude screw Kroniker. him Kroniker yeah that, I don't want to say it <laughs> yeah. You don't even want to give him the time of day? No. Unless if it's to kick him in the nuts. Okay, right. so Kronecker kicked in the nuts. Now on to Coley Palmer. I, I think, you know, extending Juan's thought, I think one of the biggest um, accusations against physicists is that they use something called a Kronecker Delta. Why would you study physics when they have a Kronecker Delta? After what you've just heard, <laughs> why? Why? <laughs> okay, Nathan. <laughs> um... The the god of mathematics is bigger than all of your gods. <laughs> and I'm going to finish off with uh, pernicious ideas fucking rule. Everyone, I hope you have a mathorific and a mathemagic week. Well, that's all there spoke for another episode of Combinations and Permutations. If you want to get a hold of me and let me know that Kroniker, Wittgenstein, Poincaré, and the rest of those assholes are really just nice guys and I don't understand where they're coming from, email me over at samuelatacnescience.com. And check it like 15 times a day just waiting for one of you to hopefully, eventually, send me an email. I would love to hear from you. Uh, also, go over to acmescience.com uh, to check out a few links about this week's episode and to listen to it and to find out about, say, the Math Maths podcast, which I'm now on with uh, Peter Rowlett over at Pulse Project. Uh, and Travels in a Mathematical World is his podcast. We're synergy people. The theme uh, is from SP12. You can find them over at opsound.org. And this episode, just like all the rest of the episodes of Combinations of Permutations, is a Creative Commons Attribution Sharealike licensed work. So, go take out all the bits with my voice so that people will actually want to listen to it and then uh, re-release it. Just say that you cut my voice, please. That's all. Thanks for listening.